0: I just wanted to say, you know, um, before we get into the sermon today, I, I, I've loved just the, the, the sense of life in our, in, in our meetings recently. And, you know, um, as we gather as a church, you know, there, there are different things that God uh, tends to emphasize in different moments. And we are always open to the leading of the Spirit. But, but every Sunday when we gather together, it's our heart as a church to, to always want to be exalting Jesus, always want to be fixing our eyes on Him. And that's how it works in different ways. There are, there are moments, uh, just as the Bible teaches, when God's people get together and, we, and, and there's moments of worship and moments of praying over one another and trusting for healing and uh, preaching of the gospel and getting into the word and times of fellowship and breaking bread as we do today. And, and, and there's, there's, there's various things that happen in, in a church meeting. And I want to just encourage us, when we come on Sundays, don't come expecting the same old, same old. Because... We ain't going to do that. We are trusting that we, uh, in our preparation, and we let me tell you, we prepare well. We prepare thoroughly. We prepare diligently for Sundays. But in our preparation, we come on a Sunday morning to, to just open our hands to the Lord and to trust that he would do what, what he wants to do. So uh, for some visiting today, maybe today, and this morning has been a little stretching, and, but, but I want to say our heart is to trust for Jesus to be exalted and expressed in various ways um, as we gather together. So um, Genesis 18, if you have a Bible um, or a cell phone or an iPhone or something smart like a smartphone, then uh, turn across if you can to Genesis chapter 18 which is the text that we are going to be in, in today. A group of us um, yesterday from Church in the City went along to um, World Relief to participate in some refugee training. Uh, we are, a group of us are getting prepared to be able to work with incoming refugees and to be welcoming, welcoming them into the city. And, and part of the training was um, teaching and, and, and learning about the, the reality of culture shock. And the reality of what it means when cultures come together in awkward situations. And we had a turn to kind of go around the room and share funny stories of moments where we've experienced culture shock. And you know, for those who don't know, my wife and I, our family are from South Africa. We came 13 years ago. And it, believe it or not, yeah, believe it or not, the accent totally gives it away, I know. Um, and and uh, uh, um, it reminded me of a, of a situation that happened on my very first business trip here to the States about 20 years ago. So for those that don't know, South Africa is this fascinating but very complicated country. And visitors to South Africa on the, for the very first time will, will always uh, comment on how first and third world live on top of one another, uh, often very awkwardly. Um, one of the things that you can see right off the bat is um, within blocks of one another, you can experience the... The most extreme luxury in in malls. I mean, malls that can compete with anything anywhere in the world, high end luxury. And then, literally a couple blocks down the road, you have these street markets with with uh, street vendors and customers shouting at one another and haggling over a particular price of a piece of fruit. And when I when I came here to the states 20 years ago on my first business trip, I realized very quickly that the New Yorkers that I was doing business with assumed that Africa, South Africa, was very much the latter the, the, the latter, the third world street markets, rather than the first world situation, because at the end of the meeting, I asked one of the guys if he could drop me off at a mall. I wanted to get some gifts for Debs, she was pregnant at the time with, uh, with, with Bex, and I wanted, you know, wanted to be a good husband and come home bearing gifts, and uh, so he, he drops me at the mall, and then he grabs me on the shoulder just as I'm about to get out the car, and he says, hey, Steve, just, just so that you were aware, the, the, the price that's on the item, that's, that's what you need to pay. You, you, you aren't able to, to, to buy, you aren't able to haggle to bring the price down. And I, I'm terrible in the moment. When I, when I left, I thought of so many brilliant, sarcastic, snarky comments to make, like, you know, thanks, bud, I guess I can't use the mangoes that I brought all the way from Africa to pay for the <laughs> items or, or something like that. But... But I didn't. Get, I, I thought of that later, not in the moment, unfortunately. I, I'm the best at coming up with good things to say later, um, unlike our friend James over here. But I say that to say, we're going to read a text in Genesis chapter 18 where it actually appears like God and Abraham are haggling over the worth of Sodom, like one would at a street market, haggling over the price of, of a piece of fruit. But, but there's something so much more significant and so much... So much deeper that's, that's happening. We're going we're gonna to see how, how Abraham learns something about God. He, he, he's going to see that, that God, although completely just and completely merciful, and can I just say God's justice and mercy are not competing attributes. Uh, um, he's going to learn that, that God's desire is that his justice be outworked through mercy rather than through destruction. And Abraham's gonna learn something about himself, and hopefully we're gonna learn something about ourselves as well, that, that, that God not only rescues Abraham or calls him to Himself, just like God has called many of us here to himself through his son Jesus, God calls us to, to partner with him, as we've already heard today about the Kingdom Business Group, but that's not a call that's just on the Kingdom Business Group. There's this partnership to to cry out to God on behalf of our city, on behalf of people who don't know how to cry out for themselves. And that's something of what we're going to learn this morning. So, so um, before we get there, just a quick reminder, we're in, we're in the series uh, journeying from Genesis 12 through 22. Next Sunday is actually our last Sunday um, in this series, learning about the, the faith journey of, of, of Abraham. But but if you've been here for, for any uh, sermon in that series, you'll know that we're not really learning about Abraham, we're learning about God. We're learning about God's goodness and God's grace and God's patience and God's mercy and most of all, perhaps God's faithfulness. We're learning about the fact that, that, that God knows us and he knows you and, and, and he's called you. And he sees you and he, re, and he renames you according to the plans that he has for you. And the promises that God has spoken over you and over me are not the ultimate point of this faith journey. Jesus, God actually says to Abraham in Genesis 15, he says, he says Abraham, I am your very great reward. And so God, yes, wants to bless us with amazing things, but, but, but he is the ultimate promise and the ultimate blessing. So I'm gonna, what we're gonna do is I'm gonna just um, share a couple of uh, 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 things out of the first 15 verses just to kind of set some, some, something of the context for this, for the story, and then we're gonna focus in on the, on the last half of the chapter. So if you look at Genesis chapter 18, verse one, you'll notice that the story starts in a rather dramatic way. The Lord appeared to Abraham. I mean, that's, that's a dramatic statement. The Lord, I mean, if if you came tomorrow and said, the Lord appeared to me last night. I mean, we would be like, wow, that's, that's something pretty significant. And, and interestingly, we, we find out how God appeared to Abraham. We see that there are three men who are standing at Abraham's door or at the flap of Abraham's tent or whatever Abraham had that kind of kept him out from the world? But, but there, there are these three men that, that appear. And, and I love this, this first, these first 15 verses. If we had time to look at it, it starts to point towards this incredibly mysterious but marvelous truth, biblical truth, called the Trinity. This, 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 this conviction, this teaching in Scripture that that, that God is simultaneously and always three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yet, yet one, always one. And, and, and if you read this particular passage, which we don't have time for, you'll notice that at times we, we read of three men, but then Abraham refers to them in the singular. Verse 2 does exactly that. In verse 2, Abraham it talks about three men arriving at Abraham's door, but then Abraham responds to them as, Oh, Lord, singular. And you've got to ask the question, well, are there three or are there one? Are there one or are there three? And the answer is simply yes. Yes, there are three and there are one. And and can I just say that truths like this about God are, are so deliciously wonderful, as James would probably say. So deliciously wonderful. This is what keeps theologians in a job. They have been literally trying to understand this truth since for 2,000 years and haven't come to it yet. But you know what, friends? It makes perfect sense relationally. I might not understand it intellectually, but I'm very comfortable with the reality relationally that God is my father and he has incredible plans and purposes for me. But not only that, God is also my savior and my Lord and my king. And he died a bloody death on the cross and rose again after three days. And guess what? God is also my helper. And my comforter and my encourager and times of difficulty, he comes alongside and he whispers words of encouragement. I can't make any sense of that intellectually, but it makes perfect sense relationally. Friends, truths like this are a goldmine for worshipers. I can stand here with each of you and worship God. Primarily for me, primarily because I don't fully understand him. That's why I worship God. I don't want to worship a God that I've figured out. I don't want to worship a God that I've fit into this simple little brain and I've completely comprehended and understood. I come on a Sunday morning with each of you to worship a God who is far bigger and far greater than anything I could ever imagine or understand. Truths like this, don't be afraid of them because they're a gold mine if we approach them with a worshiper's heart. So these three men have arrived to to, uh, to speak to Abraham and to speak to Sarah. And Abraham does something rather ordinary for a Middle Eastern family. He hosts these three angels. Inadvertently, Abraham has had Jesus over for lunch. Think about that. Without realizing it, Abraham has, in doing something that, that an ordinary Middle Eastern family would do hosting strangers, he has had Jesus over for lunch, which is why in Hebrews chapter 13, the writer of the book of Hebrews says something along the the lines of, he encourages us to to don't be afraid of entertaining strangers because when we do entertain strangers, some people have inadvertently entertained angels without realizing. If you're new to the Bible or if you're visiting today and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you might be sitting there going, wow, wow. That's crazy. Well, I want to join you and say, wow, that blows my mind. Think of that. There's a very real possibility that if you and I were to entertain strangers, we could very easily entertain angels. But it speaks to me of this wonderful truth about God. God is so extraordinary because we can encounter him in powerful ways when we do just ordinary things. That's what's so great about God. We don't have to get religious on God. Just by doing ordinary things, we can encounter the power of this extraordinary God. And so these three angels, these three men, these uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I mean, it's confusing, I don't know. But they've arrived to, to tell Abraham and Sarah that the promise of a son, which was given 25 years ago, is now about to come to pass. Think about that in the context of your journey of faith. 25 years ago, God spoke to Abraham and Sarah. 25 years. We give up after 25 days. Or maybe I just, I give up after 25 days. 25 years, God is coming and He's saying, it's about to come to pass. There's a beautiful verse in in, um, uh, Ecclesiastes 3. It says this God makes everything beautiful in its time, which I understand to mean. God perfects everything in his perfect time. If you're here today trusting in God for his plan and his purpose to come to pass, I want to encourage you with this. God does not delay. Nothing holds God back from fulfilling his His plan for you in the perfect time. But at the same time, we have to understand, for our sake, God doesn't come early either. He comes at the perfect time. Church in the City celebrates 13 years. And think of all the incredible things that God has done over those last 13 years. And I'm not suggesting that we have to wait 25 years for the fulfillment of the promise. But but in the context of, of 13 years, in the context of this story, we haven't seen everything yet. The best is yet to come for this church. The best is yet to come for each one of you. Don't give up. If you're waiting for a promise, know that God's perfect time is still to come and it's gonna be more magnificent and beautiful than you could ever imagine. And so God comes to, to, to speak to them and just to make a last, a last comment quickly to say this, that, that God is not blessing perfect faith or great faith. We've read story after story, chapter after chapter of Abraham and Sarah's struggles. God is not blessing Good, uh, uh, great faith. God is blessing honest faith. God is blessing real faith. Real faith in the midst of struggle. Real faith in the midst of doubt. Real faith in the midst of facing their own weakness. God is not concerned about the perfection or the quantity or the quality of our faith. God is concerned about one thing only, and that is the object of our faith. Who do we have faith in? The writer in Hebrews 11 says this about Sarah. I love the fact that, I mean, we've read about Sarah's struggles. And, and in, this, in this particular account, Sarah laughs sarcastically at the notion that this promise is finally about to come to pass. But listen how the writer in Hebrews remembers Sarah. By faith, Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who made the promise. I, Lord, I, I don't understand it. I, I don't comprehend everything that you are doing or saying, and I know sometimes you doubt, but somewhere inside of my heart is this conviction that you are faithful. And that's what faith is, friends. Faith is not needing to have big faith. The Bible says you just need faith the size of a mustard seed. Why? Because God is a great God. If God were anything less than great, our faith would need to be bigger. Just an inkling of Trust in the greatness of God is enough for God to say, I can work with that. Consider him who is faithful. So that brings us to Genesis chapter 18, verse 16, which is the passage that we're going to jump into and um, kind of uh, uh, break open a little bit and, and then end off with, with with breaking bread. This is the first um, lengthy uh, uh, example of a prayer in the scriptures that we, we've we've. There's a few times where, where the Bible already in the first 17 chapters of the Bible has alluded to prayer, but this is the first time that a, a long prayer has been recorded in Scripture. And, and just to say, when it comes to prayer, it's so important that we, we as a church are balanced in our prayer life. There are many different ways to pray. Worship and adoration is, is one example. Uh, I don't mean singing, but I mean declaring adoration and praise. Lord, I, you, you, you live within me, yet you are beyond me. I don't understand it, but I love it. That's, that's an example of worship. And, and I think prayer should always start with worship because we need to get a big view of God. Prayer can sometimes be confession. Lord, I, I, I totally blew it. And, and, in, and in doing so, I dishonored you. Lord, would you forgive me? I'm sorry. Prayer can be petition. Lord, I, I need this. I need this. I, Lord, I actually need you more than I need this, but I need this is an example of, of petition. Declaration, this, 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 this wisdom, this insight, this word of knowledge that God gives us as to his will, and then he invites us to partner with him by declaring the truth of that will over a situation. Or as we're gonna look at today, intercession. This, this call that every single one of us has to, to pray on behalf of those who don't know how to pray for themselves it's probably one of the single most selfless things that we can do. Because we don't receive any benefit from it. But God has called us to to stand in the gap, to pray on behalf of people who don't know how to cry out to God for themselves. And so with that in mind, let's look at verse 16. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him, for I have chosen him, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sins so grievous, that I will go down and see if What they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there were 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will, you, not ju- will you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? And then the Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke again, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if, what if the number of the righteous is, is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city because of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, the Lord said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 people are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? And he answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. This outcry in verse 20, it tells us in verse 20 that this, this outcry, this, in some translations it says the, the cry of the victims, the cry of the oppressed had, had come up before the Lord and God has, has chosen to, to come down and to, and to investigate further so he can determine what to do. Now, now that language and the way that the, the, the writer has described God, it, it, can I just say, it's not a commentary on the limitations of God. But it's a it's an invitation, it's, a, it's showing us that God is wonderfully accessible and approachable. In fact, what, what God wants to do is he's desperate to invite Abraham to partner with him in saving the city. Look at verse 17. In verse 17, he says this, he says, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Essentially, what he's saying is this. Abraham, I don't know if I should tell you this. If anyone, if, if your friend came to you and said, Ian, I don't know if I should tell you this. You've already decided to tell him that. You're inviting them to participate in, the, in a conversation. And that's what God is doing here. He's, it's as if he's laying the burden of Sodom before Abraham, to see what he's gonna do. Notice I did not say he's laying the burden of Sodom upon Abraham. He's laying the burden of of Sodom before Abraham to see what he's gonna do. There are so many examples throughout scripture of God doing this. One of my favorite, we don't have time to turn there, is Amos chapter seven. Go home and read it. Amos chapter seven, God gives Amos this, this prophetic vision of God destroying the people of Israel. And Amos cries out in prayer to to the Lord, God, would you stay your hand? Would you relent from destroying them? Would you forgive your people? He prays and he intercedes and it says God chooses to relent. And that's essentially what God is doing here. He's, He's inviting Abraham to participate in the saving of Sodom. God is doing that with us too for our city. He's not laying the burden of Chicago on us. He's bringing the burden of Chicago before us. And he's inviting us to investigate what we can do. And we're gonna learn what we should do. Abraham responds in two particular ways. The first thing I want you to notice is that Abraham does not specifically pray for his family alone. If you're not aware of the story, Abraham has a nephew who has actually escaped to the city of Sodom. And Abraham never once mentions Sodom by name, but he actually prays for the Canaanites, for the enemy. Abraham is not lifting up a prayer just for for the oppressed. He's crying out for those who are causing the oppression as well. And and in doing this, I I just see something so beautiful of, of Abraham beginning to reflect, although imperfectly, beginning to reflect the heart of God. We've, we've been on this amazing journey learning about Abraham, the ups and downs of, of, of his journey, times of trusting God and times of doubting God. And through it all, we're beginning to see that Abraham is starting to represent God's heart. In Genesis 12, God actually says to Abraham, Abraham, I want to bless you so that you can be a blessing for others. And this is exactly what Abraham is doing. He's saying, Lord, I understand that you've blessed me. And now because you've blessed me, I want to stand in the gap on behalf of the city so that they can experience your blessing and goodness too. Think about that in the context of your situations. Don't just make decisions in the light of how you can be most blessed. I challenge you. I challenge myself. Let's make decisions on the basis of how we can be the greatest blessing to others. The other thing that Abraham begins to do is he begins to start to explore the nature of God. He says to God, he says, God, I, I, I understand that, that you are a God of righteousness and you are a God of justice. And God, I'm, I'm not in any way expecting you to, 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 to betray yourself. I'm not expecting you in any way to, to overlook the, 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 the injustice that has happened. But, but God, is it possible that for the sake of, of a few people in that city, that you could focus on the, the, the goodness and the righteousness of a few people in order to save the many? God, is it possible that, that the righteousness of a small group could possibly cover the unrighteousness of many? Lord, what happens? What would happen if there were 50 righteous people in Sodom? And perhaps somewhat surprisingly, God says, you know what? What? Abraham, if there were 50 righteous people in Sodom, I would focus on them and spare judgment on the masses. So Abraham is like, oh my goodness, what have I, what have I got, got myself into? This is incredible. And he begins to explore this opportunity. He says, well, God will, okay, well, what about 45? And God says, yes, I would do it for 45. Uh, Okay, Uh, 40, 40, would you do it for 40? Yes, I'll do it for 40. 30, 20, 10, yes, yes, yes. If there are 10 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will hold back my hand of anger and wrath and judgment and I will focus on their righteousness and let their righteousness cover the unrighteousness of the city. But friends, I hope you see this. The question that we have to ask when we read this text is why on earth did Abraham stop at 10? Why? Surely, if he'd gone all the way from 50 to 10, surely the next step is to say, God, forgive me, I know I keep repeating myself, but just one last request, God. One last request. Would it it be possible if for one righteous person, you would forgive an entire city. He stops. He doesn't ask that question. I, I've been asking myself why? why. Why wouldn't he ask that question? Maybe, maybe he lost his nerve. Maybe he kind of realized, what, am, what on earth am I doing? I'm, I'm busy <laughs> haggling with the Lord Almighty. But I, I don't think that's necessarily why. I think, I think rather Abraham realized that if he were to ask God for one righteous person, he realized tragically that he wasn't that righteous person and neither was Lot. That there actually wasn't one righteous person in the city to whom that God could look to in order to cover the unrighteousness of many. And so verse 33 tells us that this this encounter comes to a, a rather abrupt end. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. I find this moment both wow and tragic all at the same time. I mean, here's Abraham having, un- having uncovered this remarkable truth about the grace of God. That for the sake of 10 righteous people, God, in fact, for the sake of one righteous person, God would forgive an entire city. But the tragedy is that there is no one righteous person that Abraham can point to or that God could look to. Which is just a beautiful setup for the gospel, isn't it? 2,000 years later, God would indeed send one who is righteous. He would send his only son. The one in whom God can look to and point to and say, for the sake of his righteousness, for the sake of his perfection, I will forgive anyone, anyone who comes and hides himself under that righteous one. 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, Abraham prayed a prayer, crying out to God and walked away disappointed. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came and did exactly the same thing that Abraham did. He prayed a prayer in John 17. But he did something that Abraham couldn't. Abraham couldn't say, God, I'm that righteous person. Jesus stood up, though, in John 17 and he said, God, I am that righteous one. I want you to look to me. Don't look at their imperfection, don't look at their unrighteousness. Look at my perfection. Look at my righteousness. Love them in the same way that you love me. That's the good news of the gospel, friends. In verse 19 of John 17, Jesus says this, for for them, for you and I, I sanctify myself. For, For them, I live a perfect life. Why? So that we too, so that they, we too, may be truly sanctified. We stand perfect in Jesus Christ, not because of anything we've done, but because of the perfection of Jesus. John uh, Hebrews 7 tells us that Jesus intercedes for us consistently and continually which gives me such incredible strength to know, friends, the reason why I stand here today, the reason why I live today, Debbie spoke about it in that prophetic word, the reason why any of us are here today is simply because Jesus is standing at the right hand of the throne, interceding for you and for me. Luke 22 tells the story of Simon Peter who challenged Jesus when it was suggested that he was gonna betray him. He kind of puffed out his chest. Me, I'm not gonna betray you, Jesus. I know that I'm strong and solid in my faith and I know I'm gonna come through. And Jesus says to him, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you, sift you like wheat. Friends, I don't wanna shock us, but Satan is trying to sift each one of us like wheat. Satan is trying to take each one of us down. And friends, our strength to stand is not the the bravado, the confidence that we have in our faith and our righteousness. The confidence that we have is in the fact that Jesus says to Simon, but I have prayed for you. And not if you come through, but when you come through. Strengthen your brothers. You see, he could tell him that he was going to come through the challenge. Why? Because Jesus was praying for him. There are many of you here seated today, I know, who are facing difficult circumstances, maybe direct opposition from Satan, trying to oppose you, maybe struggling in the areas of health or financial breakthrough or relational difficulty or not seeing promises fulfilled. And let me tell you, don't try and puff out your chest and show God that you have great faith because it doesn't help. The reason that you will come through, you will come through, I guarantee you will come through, is for one reason only. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and for me right now. That's what gives us strength. That's what gives us courage. That's why we can come every single Sunday morning, no matter what we are facing, and we can say, glory to God, because you are at the right hand, faithfully praying. Abraham went home. Because he didn't have his prayer answered. Jesus never leaves without his prayer unanswered. What do we do with this? I'm coming into land. What do we do with this? I wanna say maybe some of you here today don't know what it's like to come under or to be under or to find yourself under the righteousness of Jesus. I wanna say to you today, if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, it is not God's intent for you to earn your way into relationship with him. It is impossible, and it is exhausting. Surrender. Come under the righteousness of Jesus, the one true righteous one. For those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, the Bible teaches us that, that Jesus is, like, is a priest. He is our high priest, the Bible teaches which literally means that, that Jesus ministers to God on our behalf, which, which he, he says to God, God, don't look at them, look at me. But yet as a priest, he also ministers to us on behalf of God. He says to us, I want you to look at me because this is how God looks. This is how God is. And to a lesser degree, that's something of the ministry that Abraham had to the city of Sodom. He was a priest. He was grounded in God. He had access into the presence of God. He he heard God's voice, yet he was among the people, his heart broken and sympathetic toward people, both the oppressed and the oppressor. But the tragedy is, Abraham had no one to point God to, and so the city of Sodom was destroyed. Friends, you and I as believers in Jesus Christ have been rescued and invited and received this invitation from God, He's putting before us the burden of the city. And He's saying, I want you to be just like Abraham, this bridge. Rooted in me, grounded in me, access to my presence, able to hear my voice and to see my heart and to receive my heart. But at the same time, I want you to be among the people. Have your heart broken with compassion for the people around you, not just for the oppressed, but for the oppressor as well. But you and I have someone that we can point people to. Unlike Abraham, Jesus Christ, the one true righteous one. Every day, God is bringing the burden of Chicago before us. Every day. It's not a burden for us to carry, it's a burden for us to respond to. I sat this week having my hair cut and chatted with my friend who shared this tragic story of how he's going through a custody battle for his two year old daughter. My heart broke. Not just for him, but for others in the city who are just like him. Broken friendships, broken relationships, broken family. Every Monday morning, I go for a run on the lakefront, and I see the magnificence of Chicago, And I can't help but actually, as, as I see the beauty, I also understand it's a city of pain that is desperate for a savior. I sometimes look at the news, local news, and I read just this last weekend, in a space of 15 hours, I think there were 14 gun victims. And my heart breaks for the city. It's not a burden that God wants me to carry. It's a burden that God is presenting before me and presenting before us as a church to say, what will we do? This is what we can do. We can cry out to, the, to God on behalf of those who don't know, how to, don't know how to cry out for themselves. And we can say, God, just as you've rescued me, just as I've been blessed, help me to be a blessing. Help me to expend the time and take the energy and take the effort to cry out for people who don't know how to pray for themselves. Imagine a church like that. Imagine a church like that. Ezekiel in Ezekiel 22, God says, I looked for a man, one man, who would stand on behalf of a city. I don't know about you, but I'm not here alone. I look around and I see 120, 140, I don't know, people with, I know with a heart like mine wanting to see our city impacted. If God was looking for one man in Ezekiel, what can he do with 150? What can he do with 150? I trust that we would be that church. Confident in the gospel, rooted in God, hearts broken for the city, not taking the burden on us, but responding to the burden that's before us and crying out for others that Jesus would rescue them. We're going to celebrate breaking bread together, and this is what we're going to do. So I would love for us to, to focus our breaking bread this morning around this notion of we are blessed to be a blessing. Now, a couple uh, last month, we did this for the first time, where we got different kinds of loaves, different kinds of breads. There's, got, there's uh, sourdough, there's whole wheat, there's even gluten-free for our gluten-free friends. Um, uh, so the, the, the point is this, don't take a little snip. Take a good chunk of bread. This is a celebration. We are celebrating that Jesus is alive and that he is rooted in our hearts and we are under his righteousness. It's gonna be a little crazy and hectic, which is the plan. We're meant to mingle. We're meant to bump into each other. We're meant to say hi to one another. This is not a moment to get quiet and religious on us, all right? This is an opportunity for us to celebrate that Jesus is, on the, that Jesus is, is at the Father's right hand interceding for us. Some of you come and grab bread. Some of you come and grab some grape juice. Um, Crossover, grab what you don't have, head back to, your, uh, head back to your, your seats, and if you can, find a couple people around you. I know this might be stretching for some who are new, but find one or two people around you and let's celebrate what God has done in our lives. Can we do that? All right, worship team, why don't you come up and uh, play some music? Guys, would you come stand up, grab some bread, grab some grape juice, head back to your chairs. Let's celebrate that Jesus is alive this morning.
1: praise the lord hallelujah sing hallelujah of hallelujah hallelujah god is good thank you jesus for your great love for us that you call us your sons and daughters we thank you that you say in ephesians that you are rich in mercy and great in love and that even while we were dead in our trespasses you made us alive together amen amen thank you jesus Lord, we thank you that we are your workmanship, that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, that you have prepared beforehand so that we may walk in them. And Lord, we just ask and we proclaim that your name would be lifted high in our lives, that your fame would be extended to all of Chicago and beyond as we worship you today. We thank you for your body and your blood that you poured out for us, God, that you gave for us and that your blood breaks every chain in our lives. And so we praise you, Lord. You are worthy of all praise and honor and glory forever
0: and ever. Amen. All right, can we just take two minutes in your groups or if you uh, uh, with others around you just to begin to pray for our city. We, we uh, just are just celebrating the fact that God has rescued us. But let's turn our hearts towards our city. Turn our hearts towards your friends and family. Let's begin to just take a minute or two just to pray for them, just to ask God that, that He would open up their eyes to the truth of who Jesus is. Can we do that just for a minute? Begin to pray for the city. Begin to pray for those that you know who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. All righty, Claire's going to lead us just in a short time of prayer as we pray for a prayer for our city. Go for it, Claire.
2: Father, thank you that you have set church in the city, in this great city, for such a time as this, Lord. And we thank you that you are pouring out your spirit in Chicago, that Lord, you have equipped us to go to the north, south, east, and west of this city to bring the kingdom of God to those in this city, Lord. So Lord, we thank you that you send us to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, Lord, deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised. So, Father, we thank you. We praise you, Lord, for our mighty salvation. It is not your will that any should perish. So, God, we call for this city. We call out to you, Lord, and we thank you for souls all over this city. In Jesus' name, amen. you. You know, along that, like today, we're just hearing God's heart for the lost. You know, before I was saved, I didn't even know what I didn't know. And it's just transformed my life, knowing Jesus. And that's his heart, for people to know our Lord and for their lives to be changed and transformed. And that's how our city is going to be changed. And for the last year, we've been inclining our ear to the Lord. And we've just heard from him that, that, that we need to step into a new building, a new space. Not for our glory, not because we like pretty things, but because... We want the lost to be able to come in every day of the week, in the evenings, on the weekends, all day, that they, there would be a house where they, the name of the Lord can be worshipped and praised, and, and we're not going to build it of our own strength. We labor in vain if we build it of our own strength, but only the Lord builds it will people come. And that's our heart. That's why we want a building. And so, Lord, we ask, Father, build this building, Father, that we may see the lost saved, that the lost can come in and know... They're great and powerful, Lord, that you love them and care for them, Father, that people can be ministered to, that refugees can come in, immigrants can come in, Father, that we can go forth, that it can be a base for the the people to be healed, the blind to see, and the lost to be saved, Father. That's your heart, Father, and we we have that heart because of you. So, Jesus, let your kingdom come, Father. Let your will be done, Father. Let us have a building to give. Honor and praise. Let it be a city on a hill. In Jesus' name.
0: Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done this morning. Thank you for grabbing hold of our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of the gospel, for the reality that we have been changed and transformed because of what Jesus has done. And Father, I pray that as much as we are rooted in you, I pray that we would continue to to stand in the gap on behalf of our city, Lord God, to pray, to cry out. On behalf of those who don't know how to pray for themselves, Lord, we as a church commit to pray until every single person has come to know you as Lord and Savior or until you return. Jesus, we can make that commitment to you to lift our hearts, to lay down our lives, to do the work that you've called us to do, and that is advancing your kingdom here in Chicago and beyond. Lord, may we do it under your grace. May we do it by the strength that you would provide according to your power. May we do it in close relationship and intimacy with you and with one another. Thank you, Jesus, that you have called us for a time such as this. We love you, we praise you, and we worship you in Jesus' name.
1: Amen.